Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, July 17th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. All right, guys. So our the rest of our team is off in San Diego. Uh, I guess Comic-Con is about to begin as we are recording this. So we'll have plenty of Comic-Con coverage for you listeners, uh, maybe even later tonight and definitely in the coming days. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, let's jump into some news. Um, Chris, this dropped, I think... Uh, maybe Monday or whenever we were recording the water cooler. So we haven't had a chance to cover it yet, but this is sort of an interesting piece of news about the Barbie movie. What is happening on that front? Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone saw this coming. Um, we, we already knew there was going to be a Barbie movie. We knew that Margot Robbie was going to star in it. And now it looks like uh, Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, who um, uh, have worked together several times before they wrote, Francis Ha together, they wrote Mistress America together, are writing the screenplay, and there's a chance that Greta Gerwig will also direct the movie. So that's some oddly serious indie cred they're they're trying to bring into the Barbie movie. Yeah, that's a weird thing, because like uh, I remember Diablo Cody wrote a version of a, a Barbie script, and she also sort of had that same indie cred, you know, coming from the world of Juno and, and Young Adult and films like that. So it seems like this is like a big studio movie, but it seems like they want sort of a, a more grounded approach to it, theoretically. Brad, do you have any thoughts about a Gerwig, Baumbach, Barbie film? Yeah, this is a, um, an odd pairing for sure. Uh, I love Frances Ha, and you know I love Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach and what they've uh, done separately as filmmakers too, but I've never thought about them working on something that's so high profile and seemingly unlike all of their other work. Uh, you know, that's not to say that they can't do something interesting with it. Obviously, uh, you know, the producers uh, thought whatever they had in mind was going to uh, work on screen. So since they're giving them a shot to do it. But, yeah, I really don't know what to expect. Um, you know, hopefully they'll just, you know, bring some kind of, you know, indie charm to it, maybe to make it that make something that is not just, you know, a, a glossy product. 
Yeah, for sure. So let's move on to Warhammer 40,000 or Warhammer 40K, which is a... Are you guys familiar with this property at all? I think I've I've seen like the tiny figurines. I don't know anything more than that. Yeah, that's literally my experience too. Is I know I've seen them around like hobby shops and stuff. Yeah, so I I texted with uh, Jacob, who like I said is on the ground in San Diego, and I was like, I remember you talking on the water cooler about painting little miniature figures. You were you know doing this as a hobby. Was that Warhammer 40k? And he said it was. So that that's the only. Um, yeah, sort of association I have with this franchise, but apparently it's like one of the most popular miniature war game uh, universes in the world, games in the world. There, there's board games, there's novels, and the whole deal. So there's never been a TV adaptation of this property, but now that is about to change because uh, Frank Spotnitz, who is the creator of Amazon's alternate reality drama The Man in the High Castle, is developing a new fantasy series called Eisenhorn that is set within the world of Warhammer 40k. Um, you can go to SlashFilm.com and, and sort of get the the backstory and all of the history on this, but it's basically set in this distant future where humanity's armies are waging unending war against a mil- or across a million battlefields in the darkness and a secret conflict is raging. Uh, there's an imperial inquisition, there's sci-fi fantasy and crime all mixing together into this sort of um, epic story of aliens and heretics and demons uh, all in, in one huge uh, fantasy TV show. So, I mean, obviously, like, the the fantasy element uh, instantly recalls something like Game of Thrones. This has, like, a, a big um, pile of source material to go off of as well. Uh, Game of Thrones is leaving a big vacuum in that space in the TV world. So this show does not have a, a network or a streaming home yet, but whoever picks it up is going to be, I guess, inheriting some sort of, you know, theoretically a, a Game of Thrones-style saga. But I'm, I'm very curious to see... Because, like, if the three of us don't really know much about Warhammer 40k, that probably says a lot about, like, the general audience. Um, And I wonder if they're going to be as pulled into this world as they were to something like Westeros and Game of Thrones. So, um, yeah, it remains to be seen. I'm curious what Jacob thinks, actually, about a Warhammer 40k TV show, because obviously he has much more of, like, a, um, a direct line to this property than any of us do. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll check in with him sometime after Comic-Con, see what he thinks about that. Uh, In the meantime, let's talk about something that is actually going to show up at Comic-Con. That is Terminator Dark Fate. They're going to be having a panel. Um, Paramount is bringing some footage to show off uh, to Comic-Con. But in the meantime, we've learned a little bit of information about this movie. Chris, what is the latest that we've discovered about this film? Uh, Yes, so Tim Miller, who directed Terminator Dark Fate, gave an interview with Entertainment Weekly, and he, he broke down some of the info about the new Terminators in the film, but then he, he started talking about um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's T-800, which is the, you know, the, the famous Terminator, the one that he's played in most of the films. And um, he didn't want to, Tim Miller didn't really give much away, but he did say regarding Arnold's character, I don't think people will be ready for what Arnold has become because it's very different. So that's very vague and it could mean lots of things. I don't really even know what, that could be i mean there's a part of me that thinks like he's not actually even going to be a robot at this point it's like some sort of human character because you know he's older now and i don't think like do the terminators age i never really got that impression even though Arnold schwarzenegger obviously has aged over the years i feel like he's always playing like a different model so that sort of explains why he's older but 
I can't imagine they're making like old man Terminators. I don't know. I don't know how well, it didn't, works. Didn't they have the uh, in Terminator Genesis? Didn't uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator Age? I can't remember. I blocked that movie <laughs> out of my memory. It was so bad. I think he might have. Um, yeah, I think it was an older Terminator. But like, okay. what, what do you think that it could be, Chris? You, you mentioned a human. Like, it, has the T eight hundred been voted the president of the United States or something? Like, what what sort of like ludicrous thing could, ludicrous angle could they take here that would be quote unquote very different than what we've seen before? I remember there's this deleted scene from Terminator three where they sort of try to explain why all the Terminators look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And they, they do this by showing like the, like the lead scientist who helped design the robots is like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he has like a different voice. He has like a nerdy voice that comes out of, out of Arnold Schwarzenegger's body. And then it cuts to this other guy who's talking with Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice. And they're just like, we'll use his voice for the row. It's a really stupid deleted scene. <laughs> I'm wondering if they're, they're going to do something like that, where like, he's the guy who inspired the Terminators. I don't know. Because like in that trailer, he's like living in like a cabin. Like why would the Terminator be like hanging out in some cabin? I don't know. <laughs> well, that uh, deleted scene is notorious. I've seen it several times and it makes me crack up every time. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes so people can check that out because it's really worth watching. It's so ridiculous. So hopefully maybe there's, a, maybe there's like um, a, like a different Terminator that uh, is, is played by Danny DeVito. Oh, man. I was going to say, hopefully, that uh, Terminator Dark Fate doesn't go that ridiculous. But, Brad, you just took it way, way in the other direction. So. Yeah, and then we get the spinoff, which is which is tw- Twinner Maters. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... Let's move on to our next topic, which is uh, Damien Chazelle is developing a new movie. What has he got going on? Uh, yes, the director of La La Land and Whiplash and First Man... Uh, venturing back into classic Hollywood territory with a new movie called Babylon that apparently has both Emma Stone and Brad Pitt circling it. Uh, There aren't a lot of details about it, but apparently it will be set sometime in the 1920s as Hollywood was making the transition from silent films to talkies, and it will focus on the rise and fall of several fictional and real historical characters in show business during that time. Uh, Damien Chazelle has always had an affinity for classic Hollywood, obviously as evidenced by uh, La La Land um, being, you know, in the vein of a classic Hollywood musical. Um, a lot of people, you know, who are filmmakers have reverence for the, this time period uh, in cinematic history. So it, it'll be interesting to see what he does with this. There, there have been rumors that this was also supposed to be a musical, but that apparently isn't the case. It's just a rumor that got started and isn't actually true. Uh, at, when the project was uh, announced, Lionsgate was said to be the front runner to pick it up. Apparently, there's uh, quite the auction going on between several studios that are interested. So we'll see. Uh, have to wait and see whether or not Lionsgate is the one that ends up with it. But since they were the ones who distributed La La Land, they probably have a, a pretty good chance of making it out on top. Chris, are you excited about this? Uh, I like Damien Chazelle. Um, it, it's a little too early for me to get too excited. I will say. I feel kind of bad because I feel like he tried to break out of like old timey Hollywood stuff with first man and like no one saw first man. And it's like, well, fine, I'll go back to making my dumb Hollywood movies so people will go see them. So I, I feel like kind of bad for Damien Giselle because he can't get out of that mold. And I really like first man. Like I, I wish he would go back to stuff like that. But I guess this is his destiny to make movies in in hollywood settings i'm not sure if it's a mold to break because he only made one of those movies whiplash wasn't really like a classic hollywood movie 
I guess, but I feel like everyone just associates that with him at this point. Like that's like his his thing for some reason at this point because he's you know he's the musical guy. Yeah, that's fair. I hope he goes back to making movies like Grand Piano. Did you guys ever see that? He wrote that film. It's about um, I think it's is it John Cuse? It's Elijah Wood playing a, mu- Cusack, a musician yeah. who is like it's like oh, it's like yeah. speed at a piano and John. Cusack. No, it's like, it's like phone booth. Yeah, phone yeah, booth yeah, at yeah, a yeah. Piano. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. I like I liked uh, Grand Piano. Yeah. It's silly. Yeah, I like that one a lot too. I hope I hope Damien Chazelle makes another movie like that at some point. But um, Brad, let's talk a little bit about Space Jam Two. What is the latest with this film? Oh, uh, well, it's time to slam now, guys, because uh, there's a shakeup at Space Jam Two set. Uh, the director was originally supposed to be Terrence Nance, but at the last minute, apparently there was some kind of creative difference uh, going on behind the scenes. Uh, he had different take than what the producers and the studio wanted for the movie. So now uh, Malcolm D. Lee is being brought in to direct. He has directed such movies as The Best Man, The Best Man Holiday, Barbershop, The Next Cut, Girls Trip, and Night School. Uh, Girls Trip is easily the most successful movie out of uh, that run. Uh, pretty pretty funny comedy. He's not really one of my favorite comedy filmmakers. Um, I would say more so of a miss than anything. But uh, he's if yeah, the studio wants somebody who will do what they need him to do and uh, is a veteran, he get the job done at the last minute. It's you know it's Malcolm D. Lee. Uh, I I'm still just kind of waiting to see what Space Jam 2 is going to be beyond just the same kind of movie with LeBron James. I'm hoping that there's an interesting new spin to it. Um, but other, you know, I, I just, I like the original Space Jam because it's, I grew up with it. I don't think it's a very good movie. Um, but, you know, m- maybe this could be interesting, fun. I'm, I'm all for Looney Tunes stuff, so. Yeah. Um, Chris, when you wrote about this, I think you mentioned something about being slightly disappointed that Terrence Nance was not going to be directing this anymore. Is that because you had high hopes specifically for what Terrence Nance was going to bring to this, or you're just not necessarily excited about what Malcolm D. Lee might bring to it? It's more that Terrence Nance wasn't an obvious choice. Um, he, he's not like, you know, a go-to Hollywood director. So I, when they announced he was directing, I was like, oh, wow, maybe they're going to try something uh, new. But uh, the fact that they were like, no, never mind, let's get the more... You know, no offense to Malcolm D. Lee, but he seems like a more traditional studio guy. Mm-hmm. And it's like that that says to me, like, they don't want anything even remotely challenging. They just want, you know, cookie cutter stuff. And I guess that's fine for Space Jam, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is an important movie for LeBron James and like his his career trajectory. He's been in a couple things here and there. He was pretty good in Trainwreck. But I think this is going to be the thing that really puts him front and center in a major way. So I'm sure he's trying to figure out, you know, he, he wants to align himself with people who have the same creative vision and um, tri- you know, there's also the whole thing about like the family aspect and you got to keep that checking those boxes and everything. So Lee sort of feels like the safer choice here. I, I totally agree with that. But um, I don't know. I, Brad, do you do you actually have any hope in Space Jam 2? You just admitted that the first one is, was not really a good movie. So I know you have like a nostalgic, uh, nostalgic connection to that first film. But do you think that the second one could be like entertaining for you? Or do you think it's just going to be, you know, for today's generation of kids? Uh, I mean, no, I mean, I, I hope it is because I feel like today's generation of kids, I, I don't necessarily keep up, you know, with a lot of kids programming, but I know the Looney Tunes aren't quite as prevalent as they were when I was a kid. They don't play classic Looney Tunes very often. I know there is some kind of like new Bugs Bunny show that is out there that ha- features a lot of the Looney Tunes characters, but 
I, I feel like this is kind of something that is meant to appeal to kids in the way like, look, here's a cartoon and I'll bet your parents will bring you to this because they love the original movie. And I think if anything, maybe my hope is that this will be maybe somewhat better made, if only because I feel like uh, LeBron James has already showed that he's probably a better actor than Michael Jordan, even if he's not as good of a basketball player. Uh, but I I don't know. I, I think I just like the idea of the Looney Tunes being back in the spotlight because I think they deserve it. The Looney Tunes stuff in Space Jam was actually really, really well done. Um, and so I'm, I'm I'm just interested to see what the Looney Tunes are like, you know, at, at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, let's talk about something that you probably care a little bit more about, and that is uh, Quentin Tarantino. So what is the latest with Tarantino and his Star Trek movie? He's been talking about this off and on for what seems like years now. I'm not sure if it's actually been that long. I've lost all concept of time. But um, what, what's the latest here? Yeah, so there, there are two sort of stories here. One is that Quentin Tarantino keeps saying he's going to retire after he makes 10 movies. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his latest, is being billed as his ninth, even though technically it's not because Kill Bill, he's counting Kill Bill as one movie, even though it was released as two, but that gets things even extra complicated. So if, if you want to assume that this really is his ninth movie, that means he only has one movie left if he really is serious about retiring. At the same time, he's also been saying for a few, uh, well, I don't know if it's been a few years or just one or two, but he's he wants to make a Star Trek movie. You know, he pitched a Star Trek movie to J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams took it to Paramount. There's already a script written. Um, he, he seems very serious about doing Star Trek. So the question then was, is Star Trek going to be his last movie if he makes it? Or did he mean he's going to make 10 original movies and then one, you know, movie that's Star Trek. So he, he gave a recent interview and, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here cause you know, he, his quotes are, are very rambly sometimes, but he boiled down to saying he originally thought of it as sort of a loophole where he was going to make one more original film and then maybe do Star Trek. But then he realized, uh, you know, if he said he's going to do 10 films, he should stick to that and only do 10 films. So if he does do Star Trek next, that really will be his last film. So, uh, again, I, I would say take that with a grain of salt because Quentin Tarantino over the years has has mentioned several projects he's never actually done. So there's always a chance he'll change his mind. There's also always a chance that even though he says he's retiring, he's not. You know, people, you know, people in Hollywood and, and writers, they do that all the time where they say, I'm done. And then, you know, a few years later, like, never mind, I'm back. So there's always a chance He'll do more. But as of now, it sounds like Star Trek will be Quentin Tarantino's last movie, believe it or not. I'm very personally, I'm really excited about this next phase of Tarantino's career after he's done making movies. I, I love watching his films, of course, but uh, I'm excited to see what he does because he's been talking so long about like writing novels and, and um, you know, sort, different sorts of books and stuff. I'm excited to read uh, a different type of writing from Tarantino because he has such a sharp voice and I, I feel like he would be a terrific novelist. Um, obviously the world of cinema would be losing, you know, one of its giants if he, if he were to actually stop making movies. But um, I know we've talked about the Star Trek thing, you know, a lot on the podcast over the past, however long it's been, there was talk that it was supposed to be R rated. Um, Chris, I know you're a, a, probably the biggest Tarantino fan on this episode. Uh, would you be okay with him not making one more original and making his R-rated Star Trek the way that he wants to make it? Would that, even though it's a franchise movie, would him sort of having that 
uh, creative freedom to tell that story the way he wants to, would that be enough for you? Uh, it might be. I mean, I, I'm very curious to see what he would do with a Star Trek movie, honestly. So I don't think I'd, I'd mind too much. Do we know, and I, they may have even gone back and forth on this, uh, but do we know that if like the Star Trek movie that he's talking about is going to have the same Abrams cast? Uh, I remember he did say he actually wanted to use the Abrams cast, but now I don't know where that stands because we don't know, you know, Chris Pine walked away due to contract negotiations on Star Trek four. So I don't even know if that's a possibility at this point. Yeah. Yeah. We're still probably too far away for those sorts of details, but uh, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, during the press rounds for once upon a time in Hollywood, he'll, uh, I guess, illuminate uh, a little bit more of his future plans. So we'll, we'll keep our ears to the ground for that. In the meantime, Brad, tell us about something you're, you're pretty excited about, a show that you liked a lot that we thought was canceled is not actually canceled anymore. It's not, yes. Uh, AP Bio uh, is probably the funniest show that you're not watching. Uh, it's a mid-season sh- show on NBC. It stars It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia cast member Glenn Howerton as a disgraced Harvard philosophy professor who ends up teaching AP Bio uh, at a high school. And it's a extremely funny show. It uh, was created by Michael Bryan, who was a writer and cast member on Saturday Night Live. Lauren M- Michaels also executive produced it. It also stars Pat Oswalt and Paul Appel. And it's just a, an all-around hilarious series. It has like the spirit of community. Uh, it's as witty as 30 Rock. But it got canceled back in May. And what was meant to be the last episode, which was the end of the second season, was in June. But in a surprise turn, the series uh, will make a return for a third season at least over at the NBC Universal subscription streaming service. And this is the first time that any canceled show has actually been saved by a streaming service that is under the same corporate banner as the network that it was originally uh, at. And I like, like you said, I'm just very excited for the show. Um, for me, the secret weapon of this series is that the ensemble cast that plays all the students in this AP Bio class are all hilarious in their own special ways. Uh, whether it's like uh, there's one cast member, Eddie Levy, when they cut to him for reaction shots to like the weird things that Glenn Howerton says or does, he has this amazing gift of making me just absolutely crack up with just like a single look of his face. Um, but all the kids in, the, in this cast are great. And if, if you haven't watched AP Bio, you should get caught up. Uh, all the episodes are on Hulu right now. They probably won't be there for long if this is going to end up on NBC's streaming service. We don't know necessarily when deals for certain NBC so- shows are going to run out or if they will end up keeping some shows at Hulu or anything like that. So uh, watch it while you can before it uh, ends up going to the streaming service because it, it is great. Chris, have you ever seen AP Bio? No, I've never watched it. I like all of the people that are associated with the show, Brad, even even uh, the behind the scenes people and like your description of it as, you know, with the heart of community and the wittiness of 30 Rock, like all that sounds great to me. It's just one of those shows that I saw some of the early trailers for on NBC and was just like, God, these trailers look awful. So I avoided the show. But I did the same thing with The Good Place because I thought that those early trailers looked terrible and it took me a while to sort of decide to give that show a shot so maybe i'll do the same thing here um especially with like you said it being on hulu right now and i know that that's not going to last very long so yeah I've, I've noticed that uh whenever networks cut trailers for their comedies especially when they're from the more uh niche or like oddball comedy writers they try they edit it in such a way that they play up the most generic lame aspects of the show like, like they cut it in a way where it doesn't seem 
funny. It doesn't have the style that the show actually has. And this, this um, along with The Good Place, was definitely one of those uh, instances. Yeah. All right, so we've been talking a little bit about The Little Mermaid. Disney is, is doing another live-action remake. I think we were talking about um, Aquafina and Jacob Tremblay joining the cast recently. Chris, now we know another cast member is uh, being attached to this project. Right. It's uh, Harry Styles from One Direction and also uh, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Um, he's not officially signed yet, but it looks like that's who Disney wants to play the prince in the film and he's interested and you know it's only a matter of time before he signs some sort of contract and is officially in the film um guys i have to be completely straight with you i i didn't love dunkirk as much as seemingly everybody else did and the cast especially i found to be i mean especially years later looking back on it i could not tell you anything about you know any of the performances or the actors in that movie everything is just sort of like a blur of a bunch of white dudes who look exactly the same. So I, I, I couldn't even tell you if I thought that Harry Styles was a bad actor or not, because I honestly just don't remember him doing anything memorable in that movie. Do, do either of you have fonder memories of Harry Styles acting from Dunkirk? I mean, I think Dunkirk is great, Ben, so get off the show. <laughs> but I, I will admit that, uh, you know, he's he's not really in it that much. He, You know, I, I remember him in the movie. I know what he does, but I wouldn't say like, ah, his performance was outstanding. I thought it was, you know, it was fine for what his role needed, but it wasn't like, wow, what a this guy's got a big career ahead of him as an actor. Like, I didn't think that watching. Yeah. And I guess. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Brad. No. Yeah, I think I think he's fine. in Dunkirk. He's, he didn't blow me away or, or anything, but he does. Um, when I've seen him in various late night appearances or stuff like that. He does have a certain amount of charisma and uh, you know, obviously when it comes to the little mermaid, there's definitely going to be uh, a lot of fans who are just like, Oh my gosh, Harry Styles is Prince Eric. Oh, great. Um, but I, I do wonder if, whether if he, they w- waited to see if he was going to take this role uh, after they found out if he was going to play Elvis or not. Cause he was also in the running to play uh, Elvis in that biopic that's in the works. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. And I guess like you said, Chris, like, you know, for a Disney, a live action Disney movie like this, it doesn't necessarily require a ton from these actors. So maybe uh, even though he hasn't necessarily like blown us away yet, maybe that's all that Disney needs for this type of film. So uh, let's talk about Ghostbusters. Brad, I know this is one of your favorite franchises, if not your like all time favorite. And uh, what's the latest in the Ghostbusters world? Just a little update on Ghostbusters. Kind of a fun thing. Unfortunately, Peter's not here to talk about this more extensively but universal studios announced that their halloween horror nights uh fall feature will have a new ghostbusters maze that will be active between september and november uh which is when they have their big uh kind of spooky installation of a lot of horror themed uh attractions at the theme park and uh there's no real uh footage or like photos of what this is going to look like or anything like that but the press release did offer this tease uh, it says, in each maze, guests will follow in the footsteps of the Ghostbusters, Peter, Ray, Egon, and Winston, as they venture through artfully recreated scenes from the film, including the Firehouse, New York Public Library, the Temple of Gozer, as an army of ghoulish spirits, hideous specters, and ectoplasm-dripping phantasms attack from every corner. As they delve deeper into the maze, guests will come face-to-face with an array of paranormal creatures, from the voracious Slimer to the all-powerful Gozer the Gozerian, and the and in it, the ultimate destructor form, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, to brave the demonic spirits and survive the night. 
And uh, yeah, I like I said, Peter's the expert on this. I've never experienced a Halloween Horror Night at Universal Studios, so I'm not necessarily sure what the mazes are like as far as uh, frights and the overall experience. But I know Ghostbusters isn't necessarily known for its scares. Uh, the ghosts do have fairly ghoulish designs, and there are things that are creepy about them. But Ghostbusters is, first and foremost, usually known as a comedy. So I, I wonder what kind of the impact will be uh, as having this part of Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, if it's if they lean a lot on, like, the ectoplasm and, like, the, um, you know, the ambiance of it and, and have, like, spooky ghosts just, like, bursting out of the walls or something. Or if it's if they lean into the comedy angle there and try not to necessarily make this one as scary as some of the other mazes and stuff that they have on display. But, yeah, I'll see... Uh, maybe next time Peter's on the show, um, he can sound off on this too, because I'm, I'm curious what he thinks about this. Uh, all right, guys, our last news item for the day is that uh, Happy Death Day, the franchise, is apparently over. Chris, what do we know? Yes, so um, Happy Death Day uh, ha- and its sequel, Happy Death Day 2, were um, <laughs> were surprisingly good, uh, especially the sequel, which I loved. And the sequel... Uh, sets up a potential third film and you know the director thought you know mentioned uh, a third film and you know there were plans you know very early plans for a third film but even though happy death day was to happy death day to you was not a box office bomb it didn't meet projections um so uh rather than give it a third film blumhouse has apparently just given up entirely and christopher landon who directed the the first two films and wrote the second one went on to twitter and said you know it's not happening don't you know don't expect happy death day three anytime soon and that's a real that's a real bummer i i really would have loved them to, to close out this this trilogy um you know i i know you know these films aren't beloved, I guess I would say, but the, I do think they have a fan base and I do think, you know, th- it wouldn't hurt to give this a, a third and final film, but um, it's just apparently not in the cards. Yeah. So just a couple numbers for people, the production budget, according to box office mojo for happy, happy death day to you was only $9 million and it made 64 million worldwide. So that's like seven times its budget, right? Uh, that's that's right. not really factoring in advertising, so I don't know how much they spent there. But that's sort of like the whole Blumhouse model, right? Is like low budget stuff, hopefully, with the uh, the idea of gaining a ton. And it seems like seven times your budget is like pretty good, but I guess it's just not quite good enough. It's it's weird because yeah, that that's not like a, a flop at all, but the thing was they it had a projected opening weekend of as much as $20 million that's opening weekend. And it only took in 13 million during its opening weekend. So I think their logic is, even though it eventually made a lot of money, their logic is, well, this one didn't open strong. So the next one will open even worse. And then we won't, you know, recoup our budget. I don't know. At the same time, these movies don't really require huge budgets they're not like you know even even the second one has a lot more effects than the first one they're not really effects driven films you could easily strip down a budget for this and and make like you know a lean and mean movie but i again i guess it's just not in the cards yeah brad i I know you were particularly uh disappointed with this news right 
yeah, these movies are surprisingly great. Like Chris said, I, I have had so much fun watching them. And the second one especially really leans into the more comedic side of this of this Groundhog Day-esque uh, thriller. And it's it's really a bummer that they're not going to continue it because it's it's one of the more fun franchises that has come out uh, in this in this style in a while. But it, it does occur to me, though, that uh, Bloomhouse has a first-look deal with Universal Pictures, which is under the NBC Universal banner. So I wonder if there's a chance that maybe they could turn this into something that goes to the NBC Universal streaming service. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, that that would be interesting. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about Disney Plus and like some of their live action stuff being essentially like banished to the the streaming realm. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Warner Brothers and and Universal do some of the same thing with their franchises. Um, Chris, are you going to be subscribing to that NBC Universal streaming streaming service? God, I don't know. I <laughs> I feel like we're in like this this really um you know we're on the precipice right of like of having to subscribe to like fifteen different services and like right now everything is fine but as soon as all this stuff as soon as the floodgates open it's going to be like how in God's name is anybody supposed to keep up with all of this stuff? I feel like we're sort of drowning in in uh, you know, splintered content as it is. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like, you know, a year or two from now. What I wish would happen with all these streaming services, because a, a lot of people are saying that they just want uh, the ability to like bundle all the subscription services, you know, especially when it comes to trying to manage paying for them all. But I don't care about that. What I want, and Apple has kind of done this, even though they haven't gotten everything on board, is some kind of app that allows me to tell tell it what subscription services I has I have and organizes it by movies and TV and genre and allows me to just access everything that's available across all the streaming services I subscribe to and even maybe make playlists based on all of the content that I have access to. Because that's the most annoying thing right now is that even though Apple has that the TV function that does bring some of them together in one area, it's still not the easiest to navigate and find you know, the stuff that I know that I want to try to watch or stuff that is, it fits in with the, my tastes, you know? Yeah. So if, if they come up with, if someone comes up with an app to do that, then I think it would be huge. I wonder if there's even like, if such a thing is even possible with all of the rights issues for all of these different companies, like I feel like they would have to have, they would have to be working with all of these different studios to be able to, to sort of funnel all of that content and sort it, right? Like they couldn't just design something like in a renegade way and and collect all of that stuff and sort of spit it out to you in a different way because whatever whatever that app would be that's presumably how where you would watch it and i don't know if it would count as like a view or something for like these different companies i don't know i don't know i i guess i mean if i mean if just watch can organize so that you can see what's available across streaming different streaming platforms then there should be the ability to make an app that shows you like what it, like what it is available to watch from all of that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it'll just stop there, just give you like the, the breakdown of what to watch and then you would actually have to hunt it down at the actual place where it is. But uh, all right, guys, we've gone off the rails here. I apologize for, <laughs> for that tangent. Um, but yeah, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of Slash Film Daily. Like I said, we're going to have a lot more uh, Comic-Con stuff coming very, very shortly. So stay tuned to SlashFilm.com and future episodes of this show for all of that. Uh, you can find more about the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. 
Send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends about the show. Spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com.